Good morning. That sounds a little odd to say for Steadfast, but here we are on Independence Day morning. Happy Independence Day. Happy Fourth of July. I hope you're having a wonderful start to your holiday, and I hope that this can add to it as we look at God's wisdom. Because truly the thing that we want to be most independent of is sin, and God gives us independence from that through Jesus. So let's come before him and ask for his guidance, and then we'll dig right in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the celebrations that we get to to share with friends and family today, that we celebrate the freedoms that you give us, including the freedom to to gather and study your word, the freedom we have to be doing a broadcast like this tonight, or rather this morning. Lord, thank you for these things that you give us. Would you help us to seek after your wisdom and to recognize the gifts that, that you've given and not mere imitations of them. Lord, would you guide us to have your heart in everything we do, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've known me for any length of time, you know I'm a bit of a pyromaniac. I love fireworks, and so it's Independence Day. Of course, we have to think about fireworks as we we go into this message today. I, I love getting to shoot off fireworks. It's fun blowing stuff up like that, and, and it's beautiful, right? It's, we're not just making a bunch of noise. There are certainly fireworks that do that, but I love fountains and, and artillery shells and, and other sorts of fireworks that create big, beautiful displays of sparks. Now, one thing you learn if you have ever shot off fireworks yourself is that the packaging doesn't always reveal what you're going to get. And, and you can see on this table here from years ago at a, a family fireworks display, we have a number of different fireworks, only a few of which uh, still are available, but a few of them, even if I haven't been able to get them for years, really stick in my mind. For example, that, that box that you see at an angle there is a is what was called a reloadable fountain, and you could put different cartridges in it and shoot up these beautiful, beautiful sparks. Or, or the one that sort of looks like a nuclear cooling tower in back, that was intentionally so. It was called Nuclear Meltdown, and it, it was absolutely beautiful, far more beautiful than its namesake, and, and just wonderful. Some of the others there weren't necessarily even particularly memorable. Uh, Mammoth Fountain actually was. I'm getting into my fireworks here, as you can tell. But here's something that can be deceptive. You see those little balls on the one side? You look at those and you think, well, those don't look very big. Those are artillery shells. And if you put them in a tube, they shoot up and fill up the whole sky with sparks. You can't necessarily tell by the size of the firework whether it's going to give you a little display or a big display. You have to actually know about the firework. So too it is with the things that God gifts us and the rest of his creation. with. A lot of times we judge things by their size or, or other various forms of worldly success. We were thinking about that last week. And, and in that, we, we might pick out this thing that looks big and massive and, and we go and spend a bunch of money on it at the fireworks tent and we shoot it off and it's 10 seconds and it doesn't do a whole lot. Maybe it makes a couple of booms and it whimpers and shoots off a few sparks and it's disappointing. A lot of times that's what we do in life as well. But Agar, as he continues to guide us through wisdom in Proverbs 30, turns us to four different creatures whom God has made and the way that they demonstrate genuine wisdom, even though they would appear by their size and their importance in the general scheme of the world, to not really be particularly worth noting. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 30 once again. Returning to verse 24, if you want to look there in your Bible with me, and we read these words. 
Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The answer are people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. Now, like all these lists that we've been looking at, this one is, again, sort of curious. What is this relationship between these different creatures? What makes them wise? Let's think about it for a moment. The ant is probably one that we have an easier time with because there, there's lots of talk over time of ants storing up for winter, so it doesn't really surprise us to find it here. And yet, let's just stop and pause and think about it for a moment. How amazing is it? These little creatures, these creatures that often drive us nuts when they end up in our homes. We, we enjoy them more when they're far away from our homes. But how amazing is it these little creatures, these itty-bitty little bugs, go and find food and gather it and store it up and, and survive. And this thing that if we didn't see it, we could just be walking across the sidewalk and accidentally squash it. It's actually doing all this planning and they build these elaborate underground tunnels and they, they do all this stuff so that they can survive and continue to thrive. How amazing is that when we really think about it? The rock badger is a bit more of a an alien example to us. We don't have rock badgers, as far as I know, here in the United States, or I don't think anywhere in North America, but it's a small furry mammal that isn't terribly strong, but does as you'd expect by its name. It lives in the rocks. And, and so while it is very vulnerable to all kinds of predators, including big cats and such, and it's all over Africa, and so it can be chased by leopards, and, and various birds of prey go after it, what does it do? Well, it, it does something very wise. It lives within fortifications. God made it so they could thrive living in rocky places. And, and so it goes into those rocks whenever there's a threat, and it's safe there. It goes places that oftentimes other creatures can't get to. And so it finds success in embracing that bit of wisdom. Now let's think about the locusts. And Again, thankfully, we don't really run into this problem here in the United States, but every once in a while we turn on the news and hear about a swarm of locusts going to some country and how it's going to be just devastating. They're going to march in, as it were, fly in. They're going to go in and they're going to decimate the fields. People are going to be starving. It's going to have a massive impact. And we think about that. And we think about how much weaponry and planning and organization it takes for us to send an army out and, and go devastate an enemy. And yet these little insects, without any kind of clear central command that's running them, or, or, or strategy, or satellites, or bombs, or anything like that, can go and alter a society just by flying in and eating the food of that society. They don't look all that important. They don't look that mighty. And yet by doing what they do and cooperating with each other, it's not just one bug, but it's a whole bunch of bugs going in together, they find, at least for themselves, success. And what about this lizard at the end here? Well, of these things, we'd probably be happiest to run into the lizard. We, we go out in nature, and here in Missouri, you can find some forms of lizards, and you, you see one sunning itself on a rock, and you think, oh, isn't that neat? And if you're like me, you go and you find a camera, and you try to get a picture of it. But what, what's the wisdom here of the lizard? Well, 
while the lizard is so generally harmless, we, I, I think there may be some toxic lizards, but there aren't any as far as I know in Israel, and I don't think there are any in the United States. So just thinking about the normal lizards we run into, if you could catch it, you could pick it up with your hands. If it doesn't see you coming, you could pick it up. It's not going to do anything of substance to you. And yet, what does Agar say? These lizards, these creatures that don't look like they have a great deal of strength or ability to oppose anything, they get to dwell in the palace of a king. You and I don't get to dwell in the palace of a king unless someone from a royal family is watching tonight. In case, well, welcome. I'm glad to have you here. But most of us don't. And I'm pretty confident that no one listening tonight does. And yet, if you're in a, an area with lots of lizards, guess what? There are going to be lizards in the king's palace. And so what do we see? These creatures that just go and seek a place to live embracing the habitat that God's given them, actually get to live in places that many people would kill to live in, quite literally even. How interesting is that? What do all these creatures have in common? What do they do? They use what God has given them to succeed in life. They use whatever kind of wisdom he's given them to be able to do what they do. That's why they continue. We think about the created order of the animals and the plants and the bugs and and the birds, and all these things that God has made, and how amazing is it when you really think about any one of them, and how inasmuch as they're doing what they're made to do, they thrive. God made that. And he calls us to look at it and to say, wow, look at this. God provided for these creatures. And as they do what what God made them to do, they succeed. It's a form of wisdom. And so we see these different manifestations of wisdom in each of these. They're not all the same. And yet what happens is as they do what God made them to naturally do, they experience a success that often is the envy of human beings. The ants survive when many times through poor planning, we find ourselves in dire straits. We, we put ourselves in places where we're vulnerable, where the rock badger doesn't. The, the locusts come in. And again, even modern armies would struggle with so little coordination to accomplish anything like what they can do. And then the lizard? Again, unless you're a king or a queen watching tonight, you probably do not live in a royal palace. But we can say with confidence that there are royal palaces all over the world where lizards do dwell, not because they've d done some kind of amazing political coup, but simply because they walk in through a crack that God's made them able to go through. We need to be able to look at the cracks in life that God gives us, those opportunities to wiggle in that God has given us so that we can experience not the worldly success that we often chase after, but something genuine, thriving in the gifts that God's made us to use. It makes me think of my grandpa. He he was always good at thriving with what he had. He he was very, very inventive. And so he'd be repairing something and, and he would save bits and pieces that he'd run across and he knew where they all were. That was something that he was good at that I'm not good at. He'd know where all these different parts, these spare things, these seemingly useless bits were. And then something would break or he'd find something that he wanted to buy and repair. It was already broken. And he could do it. He'd pull these pieces together and he would make it work. A lot of times we're just too lazy to do that. I'm too lazy to do that. It's much easier to go onto Amazon and find something that can be shipped next day that will do the job rather than trying to find some creative way to use parts. Pan pandemic sort of forced us for a little while to, to think more creatively when things were hard to find. Maybe we're 
even being forced in certain ways to do that now as there are shortages on things. But generally speaking, we just, we don't really do like my grandpa did and look on how we can use what we already have and pull it together and accomplish something. And, and that's not just true of material things. It's true of our own lives, our gifts and abilities that God's given us. We think it's easier just to ignore them oftentimes, maybe just let someone else do things because we don't see what God has given us. We often fail to understand those abilities, those interests that God has given us that he means for us to to cultivate and to use for his glory. We don't often see it. Imagine a rock badger who, who didn't see the ability to find a crevice in a rock as a gift and decide just to sit out on the cliff instead. That rock badger wouldn't survive the night. Ants that didn't collect food, this, this amazing ability to find stuff, you, they find it on our tables and we think, how in the world did that ant find it? God's given them that ability to find that food, and so they do. What has God done in your life? What has God given you that, that you're ignoring? What has God given me that I'm ignoring? Well, it starts with, and if you're listening, you probably have at least thought at some level of the salvation that God gives us, but it starts with salvation. Do we really see that as this amazing wisdom that God has dropped in our lives? Take a look at Galatians chapter 4. Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth from his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father! So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Do we see that as the starting point of resources, that God has given us this amazing resource that we belong to him? Do I see that as the best resource I am ever going to have? When I think about what can I order that's going to somehow fix things? What can I achieve that's somehow going to fix things? Is my starting point the amazingness of this resource that God has given each and every one of us? He doesn't just stop there either. He gives us his word so we can understand him and who he is. What he intends to have cultivated in our lives. We don't have to just have an instinctual sense of where food is or where a rock is like these creatures that we were talking about earlier. We have God's word filled with his wisdom. We don't have to be wise in our own abilities to somehow pull off things. All we need to do is turn to the wisdom that God has given us. What does that wisdom tell us? Well, it tells us, for one thing, that each of us has received gifts from God. He intends us to use them together as the body of Christ. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 12. He says, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, through many, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members one of another. Like the ant colony or the horde of locusts, what, what are we called to do? We're called to work together as the body of Christ. Uh, we may in ourselves appear small and insignificant, just as these creatures do. 
And yet God has called us together. He's given us a salvation. And then he's given each of us unique abilities, talents, things that we can share and encourage each other with so that we can accomplish something great, just like these creatures do. Not on our own strength, but in God's strength. And not on our own individual human ability, but on the joint work of God's people together. Now, this challenges us because even when we start to get the general concept, okay, God has given us this this wonderful gift of salvation, we can still fall into a number of traps that miss out on what's happening with these creatures. We can say, okay, it's great that God has saved everyone. Now everyone needs to look more like me because I value certain things. I can do certain things and everyone should value and do those same certain things. And, And there are, of course, clear moral examples. God wants us to value the truth. God wants us to value loving our neighbor and loving him, loving his word. Those are things we all should should share. But there are plenty of times where we've been gifted to value different things. Maybe some of us love and thrive in art and others of us can't stand art and, and love when we get logical tables of things. Maybe some of us love preparing meals for the church and others of us can't stand that, but would love nothing more than to greet people and welcome them or invite someone. Maybe some of us have mechanical gifts and can help someone who's struggling next door with their car, while others of us would actually be doing great harm to our neighbor by trying to help them with that. We need to recognize that each of us is different, but just as the different ants in the ant colony will have different purposes to the survival of that colony. And if every ant went to the same crumb on the same table, only one of them would get the crumb and the whole colony would starve. So too, we as God's people are called to use the wisdom of his word to appreciate the different gifts that each of us has been given and then serve the world together. It's not about trying to make everyone like us as individuals, but rather seeing us as the body of Christ come together with one thing that that really unifies us, which is Jesus and his love for us and his word that he has given us. In other words, God's wisdom brings us together. And then we take our different parts and we go and serve, just as those creatures serve their own colonies. The fundamental core that we see with those creatures is that the wisdom that God's given them, the ability that God's given them to survive is there. And when they seek it, they can thrive. Psalm 111 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Where are we called? Well, we're called to follow the wisdom that God has given us in his word, just as those creatures follow the wisdom that he has given them. So we turn to to his word, and we fear it over what, what people will do, what people will think, what in our own minds we think, we, we value what God says is right and good. And as we do that, as we have fear of the Lord, we're told that's the start of wisdom because God starts to, to take our minds and, and clean out the sin and help us to value the right things. God helps us to, to clean up each other, to hold each other up, to go and do the work that he's called us to do. These creatures that we read about here in this list are true to the wisdom that God has given them. As we're true to the wisdom that God has given us, then God uses us to do wonderful things. Galatians chapter 4 once again. Paul says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, 
How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You see, the Galatians had received the wisdom of God, and they had gifts that God had given them. They had everything that we've been talking about here. And yet, unlike the ant and the rock badger, unlike the lizard, unlike the locust, they were going and turning away from the wisdom that God had given them, and they were going to chase after false wisdom of the world once again. God had given them freedom from the wisdom of the world. God had given them freedom from all the the myths about false gods and spirits and, and philosophies that ultimately come up empty. And yet they were looking at that and they wanted to be respected by the world. They wanted to do the things that their neighbors were doing even when they were wrong and ultimately degrading and ultimately drawing them away from God. Paul says, why are you chasing after those things? Chase after God instead. And I'm sure those Galatians, as they heard that, thought, but Paul, if if the rock badger and and the lizard and all these other, other creatures we read about in God's word are meant to be true to themselves, we're being true to ourselves. We're, we're ancient Greeks. We want to be true to the ancient Greek world. And sometimes today we say the same thing. God, I just want to be true to myself. I'm, I'm a 21st century modern American. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I'm going to embrace these things of our culture. I'm going to embrace these things of the world because I'm being true to myself. And so then I'm going to experience success. That's how I'm going to be like these creatures because I'm going to look out for myself and it's going to be good. But when we do that, it ultimately brings not what we think. Reminds me of a quote that's terribly misused from Shakespeare, from Hamlet, my favorite play from Shakespeare. And that's a a quote from Polonius. And if you know the play, you know that Polonius is a bit of a fool, but he sees himself as greatly wise. And he gives this advice, this fatherly advice. He says, to thine own self be true. And I hear people quote this a lot and they think they're giving out great wisdom. They think, ah, Polonius has this great idea. Just be true to yourself. It'll all work out. Our culture loves to say, be true to yourself. But Shakespeare knew that wasn't really a winning recipe. You see, Polonius is very true to himself. He's a coward, he's a snoop, and he's always getting into things he shouldn't be in. And he does that, indeed, later in the story. He hides behind a curtain to spy, and he ends up being stabbed to death because he's detected and he's killed. He was true to thyself, and he died. And so often when we're trying to be true to ourselves, we may not physically die, but we're spiritually dying. We're not succeeding Because God doesn't call us to be true to ourselves as we envision. Polonius wasn't being true to being the man that, if he were a real man, he's obviously a a fictional story, but he was being true to the sinful fallen Polonius in the story, not to the true man of God. And that's what we do. One one person terribly misusing that quote said this. he, He said, "'Today these words of Polonius are pearls of wisdom by Shakespeare.'" on living a good and balanced life. But when we chase after what we think is being true to ourselves, it's not about living a good and balanced life. We'll run into excess. We'll run into sin. We'll run away from God. What do we need to do instead? We shouldn't be true to ourselves. We should be true to God's wisdom. God's wisdom then enables us to something better, to be true to whom it is that God has made us to be, rather than whom we think we were made to be. And then we can experience who we truly are. And we can do what God has truly made us to do. We can be a blessing to those around us. 
and we can glorify God. That's true wisdom. And may we each pray, certainly my prayer, that I would do this better. And may each of us pray that we would do this better, that we would seek after God's wisdom and be true to that, not the misguided fancies of our hearts. Would you join me in prayer? Father, so often we, we chase after what we think is being true to ourselves, what, what we think will bring success, what we think will bring power. And yet you call us to look at these lowly creatures who exhibit great wisdom by doing what you made them to do. In it they survive, in it they thrive. You've given us something even better. You've given us your word that we would know what wisdom you have for us. May we turn to it. May we turn to your will. May we do what you've called us to do so that indeed we might thrive as well, that we might glorify you and that we might help others to know about you and that we might enjoy the blessing of relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if this has been an encouragement to you, would you please consider giving it a like or a share? Of course, we're appearing in the morning. It throws me completely off that this isn't evening. It feels like it should be evening that we're together, but here we are on 4th of July morning, and since we are together in the morning, would you help get the word out that this is up? Share it perhaps on your Facebook or, or your Twitter or email somebody. Invite them to think about how we are true, not to ourselves, at least the false image of ourselves that we have, but true to God's wisdom and experience our true selves through the grace of God. I'd love to have you join in sharing that. And I'd love to have you join me back at our regular time, 7 p.m. next Monday, as we turn to lessons on leadership, as we explore more of God's wisdom in the Proverbs. I hope that you'll join me for that. We certainly all have places where God enables us to lead, and may we experience the opportunity to soak in God's wisdom on leadership and then share it with others. In the meantime, we'll have our Psalms as always this week. I hope that you, if you haven't already, you'll you'll go back. I, I got to walk us through a few days ago through Psalm 79, 80, and 81, and we're reading them this week. And throughout the week, please go to grow.faithtree.com and we can talk about them together and encourage each other on the wisdom we find in them. If there's any way I can be praying for you today or any day, if you have any questions, feel free to leave a comment in the comments below or email me at the email address on screen. It is always so great to hear from you as we encourage each other in the truth of God's wisdom. I hope you have a wonderful, blessed rest of this Independence Day and every day this week, and I'll see you again hopefully later this week on Sunday service and back at 7 p.m. next Monday night.